Live from Red Bull Studios, New York. I'm in love with my life. Hey, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey, Cool Job, a podcast about jobs. I'm here today with Julianne Escobedo Shepherd, music journalist, NYU teacher, radio host, mentor to many, and one of my favorite writers of all time. She makes a cool job a bajillion times cooler by having it. I'm in love with my life. Hey, that's such an auspicious and I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> no prash. Um, so actually just, you know, first of all, I'm really, really happy you're here. Thanks for having me. Because, hi. hi. Um, I talk about you so much on the show. It's just weird because it's one of these things where it's like, you know, just different guests will bring you up in this like anecdotal way of like how you put them on or how you inspire them or how you edited them. And it's, it's just, it was one of those things where I was just like, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like you come up a lot. So um, thank you for being awesome. Hey, thanks for and, you uh, being awesome. Yeah. <laughs> 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 weird in the beginning. Okay. So let's talk about just this past week, because as with most we- weeks, you wrote about a lot of things that are super awesome and were so wheelhouse in terms of my personal interests. And okay, so athleisure as a thing that is happening to us. This article you wrote was just like captured, I think, like what a lot of us were feeling. Please do a TLDR about what the deal was. Um, Well, basically the idea, it started out as I was just going to go back in history and look at like music videos that uh, had like people working out in them because sure. the um, Tiana Taylor fade thing came out and then the um, Ariana Grande uh, Soul Cycle sponsored spin video that also <laughs> introduced her guest athleisure. Right, right. <laughs> athleisure as like this portmanteau of like, I guess, like athletics and leisure, which is like people wearing workout clothes all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do want to clarify because I think there was um, a tiny bit of... Um, of misconstruing of what I meant. I don't mean athleisure or athletic wear as in like streetwear. I mean specifically like Lululemon style, like wearing yoga pants and the matching fucking, yeah. Matching jams or just, you know. And it's so, it's so weird because it's almost like, it's like conspicuous consumption by being like a total sheeple person because it's like, you just know that you're like, oh, your outfit costs four hundred dollars, right? Boom, yeah, right. And you are putting makeup on before you go to Equinox, and and I think what it speaks to, a larger issue that it speaks to, is that this whole idea of workout culture and um, workout culture as like a sort of bougie aspirational thing that ties in with lifestyle, like Insta- yeah, lifestyle yeah. marketing that ties in with Instagram models, Instagram trainers, and then somehow like ends up at the high plateau of the Kardashians. Right. I mean, because that's the whole like hashtag Fitzbo lifespo thing, which is, you know, if you can afford, you know, $35 soul cycle classes and if you can afford an Equinox membership and like, it's funny because I've written about athleisure a lot just because I'm a big fucking zombie for it. But you kind of spoke on the fact that it was a class issue, which surprisingly had never been discussed before. 
what pissed you off and put you there? Um, I guess I just started thinking about this sort of what it takes to keep your body so in check and so fit. And like we all as women, we all feel it. Yeah, I feel um, we all feel, you know, like if we're not because you equate people equate fitness with goodness. Hmm. And um, I think there's also a corollary to the whole um body positivity of movement which is a sort of opposite of that or like a reaction to it which I also think is weird Um, I do too it's just everything is very polarizing and loud yeah yeah and and like you and also that it equates itself with feminism where it's like maybe not the fitspo thing but it's like you're not if you're a good person, like I spent seven hours yesterday watching Keeping With the Kardashians. <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't have anything else to do. Um, but it was there was this whole episode where Kourtney Kardashian is going gluten free and dairy free. And she keeps saying that she has an allergy. And Scott Disick, who I'm like obsessed with. Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. Um, is like, you're not allergic to this. This is crazy. I know you. You've you've eaten pizza in front of me like a million times what's going on and then she's like fine it's not it's like this sort of lifestyle choice and so um i guess the idea with class is that those things cost a lot of money it costs a lot of money to keep your um you know your body in like perfect gym yeah you know keep your shit tight yeah to keep your shit tight and like who has time to do that right um you know, celebrities and rich people. Yeah, totally. The people that we see the most of kind of and like that kind of behavior that we eventually sort of normalize and feel really inadequate for not being able to like keep up with. Right. The Kardashians. Yeah. So um, when how long did that take you to write? Like not long. How long? I mean, like the thing is, you're so prolific and that's why we can talk about like a bunch of things you wrote this week. It's well, um, I think like working on the Internet obviously (laughs) forces you to be. But um, I guess it took probably like four hours and then I went through a couple edits. What is the top editing process like at Jezebel? Um, It varies. So, um, you know, just whoever is available. Okay. Um, Our features editor. Joanna Rothkoff looks at stuff and then Emma Carmichael will look at things and vet them. And Um, Emma's the editor in chief. Yeah. Yeah. So you are the culture editor there, right? Yeah. Is it typical that editors there write as much as you do? Um, uh, yeah, now. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, (laughs) sorry to think about it. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, when I took the job, I told Emma that I wanted to be a writing editor Mm. because I love editing, but writing is like, what, what yeah, it's kind me, of what you do. Yeah, it's like my motivation of getting up in the morning, I guess. <laughs> is that is it excruciating for you to write or do you enjoy uh-huh. the process? Okay, so you're one of you're, you're one mean, of those. Sometimes cool. I enjoy it when I'm just like, "Oh, cool, I'm writing like 300 words about this music video because at this point writing about music is so easy for me oh, God, when I don't get like deeper yeah. into it." But yeah, it's like really painful and like and I love it, but it's like, it feels like masochism sometimes. Yeah. And is this like, do you work in the office? Yeah. Like half of the time. So you're like in public, just like yeah, self-flagellating and getting this copy out. Yeah. Aww, and trying that's to so like. so expensive. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, from where I'm sitting, it's worth it. Um, so the other story I really love from this week was other than the Aubrey Rihanna wrap up, because I mean, the re-report I, I love always, but um, 
the the criticism of Lena Dunham and Amy Schumer's chat about the Met Ball. And uh, basically, the two women were talking about Odell Beckham Jr. ignoring Lena at the Met Ball and how she wanted to grind up on Michael B. Jordan. And then Amy Schumer's kind of talked about how she can believe how much guff she was still getting about one of her writers being a total dickhead. Um, what made you want to write about this? Um, so I read Lenny Letter. I get it in the... Do you hate read it or do you like read it, read it? I read it, read it. Okay. Um, you know, one of my friends works there, okay. Laya Garcia. And um, and Lenny Letter is the newsletter that Lena the, and Jenny Connor. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, like, I'm glad that Jennifer Garner is speaking up about uh, income inequity in Hollywood. But sure. it's also like, let's speak more to like how it affects people who aren't rarefied and like A-list movie stars. <laughs> right. Um, who are also married to like really expensive human yes yeah, exactly totally. yeah. yeah um so yeah i read it and so basically it um that interview came in my inbox and i started reading it because obviously i work for a women's website and lena dunham and amy schumer are very important in certain spheres of women yeah issues um i started reading it and it just really like the odell beckham jr part was at the beginning and I was appalled. <laughs> um, you know, it just, it was so flip the way that um, Dunham was sort of projecting, projecting yeah. and putting these ideas into his head when it wasn't even clear that she'd even spoken to him at all. And, and then that juxtaposes, I wrote juxtaposed with um, the, I'm trying to grind up on Michael B. Jordan or like grinding my ass and it sounded like she was forcing herself. Upon right. Them. Like foisting and yeah. like kind of molesting the dude. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was like, okay, so you who are a person who has gotten tons of criticism for, um, you know, not only your lack of diversity in your work, but or in your television shows, but the, um, the sort of in certain episodes, it's been very, um, stereotypical, uh, with people of color. Right. And so then you're out here being like, oh, here's a black man as an object. And then here's a black man that I'm projecting as an objectifier. Like the thing that really pissed me off was that um, the line where she said where she projected that Odell Beckham Jr. had said in his mind or thought, like, do I want to fuck it? And I'm like, you don't know this dude right, <laughs> like, at all. It's crazy. Actually, I think the, the one thing that I found interesting um, is that you were like, yo, this man is a fashion plate. He had every right to be at the Met Ball as you did. And just because you were clearly feeling insecure about wearing a tuxedo doesn't mean you have to get that on someone else. Right. Yeah. Well, also, he's obviously seen a woman in a tuxedo, tuxedo before. <laughs> like he goes to Fashion Week and right, sit right. and froze. Like yeah, it's. Yeah. It's not Your a man weird froze. thing. Yeah, yes. totally. Um, I actually like this part. The conversation feels like a corollary to the ongoing concept that personal self-empowerment is equal to feminism, that feeling good about oneself in a difficult and inequitable world is enough, and that doing so absolves oneself of having to feel empathy or understanding of others. I mean, it, it felt like a very solidarity is for white women type conversation yeah. for these two people to be having. Yeah. Um, were you scared writing this article at all um i guess as scared as i am writing anything okay um because i always i thought it was really interesting that you know when lena was trending and being you know quote dragged 
on social media that so many people were hitting me up on text. And so many people were just like relishing this moment, this like takedown. And everyone was kind of talking about it, but not at her. Right. And they were very, very careful about what their timelines reflected in terms of like talking directly about Amy or talking or criticizing Lena directly. And I retweeted the the racist um, thing she tweeted a long time, a couple of years ago about how Asians can't be rapists. Right. What the (laughs) hell? (laughs) So it was just a random thing. And I, as I was retweeting it, I was shook. And I definitely had one of those momentary fantasies of like, you will never work in this town again. Yo, okay. Yes. So yeah. So were you shook? Yeah. I mean, as I was writing it, I was like, so I was, I was like, you know, I was mad. I was mad. And so, you know, writing it, it was like, (sighs) these are things that are problematic are problematic and i feel like i need to speak up to this issue and um but then i literally texted someone i was like well i never work in this town again because that's the thing with with those two women like they're incredible they're given incredible leeway they have incredible creative power um in so many aspects of the of publishing which is like where I'm interested in television and they have very powerful friends. And it's like, yeah, you you have a moment of like, will Judd Apatow hate me? (laughs) Which is like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) right. Or or like, you know, will I ever publish a book again? Right. Or I haven't before, but I will, (laughs) but will I be able to, because she's so connected with the publishing industry. But the thing that I found so interesting too, is like, that is like, you know, she is very well connected in publishing and she is well connected in every Avenue, but some of the, it's kind of like a, a tacit thirst that isn't like a signal. It's more just like this, like quiet betrayal of how parched you were that so many people had that vibe of like, please still hire me when media falls in the toilet and right. I want to, and I want to get into scripted. Yeah. Cause that's like the, the, the place from which a lot of people I guess didn't tweet at her and didn't criticize her. Right. 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 Because, and it's one thing if you genuinely feel that like this was blown out of proportion or whatever, but you know, a lot of people were still emailing and texting me and like right. being shook. And I thought that was, and that made me feel really proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. I was just like, damn it. And that's that's you gave me strength to retweet that racist tweet and put that into the world. I mean, I guess part of my issue with that is like I'm like scripted is not where I ever expect to go because I'm really bad at dialogue. Like I'm so (laughs) bad at dialogue. Like if it's not if I'm not reporting it and quoting people, I'm like. then this person says it's it's so bad this is why i don't think i'd be good at fiction and i've tried and every time i've tried it's like a hot mess (laughs) yeah fiction's fucking rough everything is fucking rough okay so what were you like as a kid like you grew up in cheyenne wyoming yeah like what does that mean and how's it how does that translate into the human sitting before me today oh gosh well i mean i think i was um I remember being a real ham. Um, I was really into like putting on little, just as a little kid. I remember I was really into putting on like little plays and doing little dance recitals for my family and forcing like 
all 9,000 of my cousins <laughs> to like watch me do a thing or like putting on like Barbie fashion shows. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> speaks to me. Yeah. Um, and then I think I got like a lot more introverted. I got a lot more introverted when my parents got divorced. Oh, happens. Yeah, I know. And um, and then I just became like How a old were super you? nerd. I was about eight when they separated. Okay. So um, fuck formative years. Yeah. Yeah. Formative. Um. And I became a huge nerd and just like read every single book that what, my mom had in her library. What kind? Like way too advanced. Like I, like, I, re I realized recently I saw like somewhere I saw a Danielle Steele novel and I was like, yo, I've read that. And I was like, oh my God, I read that one's a nine. <laughs> like, this is so bad. <laughs> You're like, life wasn't like that at all, actually. Yeah, yeah totally. no, it was super weird. Um, but yeah, you know, I was like a... I was just kind of, I guess I was a ham. Yeah. And then, you know, became a bookworm. And then all I cared about was writing. Um, you know, I used to like sit on my mom's manual typewriter and like t try to type out stories that always were like, <laughs> uh, they were all pretty thinly veiled autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I wasn't good at dialogue then either. <laughs> I know. It was like, <laughs> you know, stories about like, boys that I had crushes on in my class or whatever. Were you like always like a journaler and like yeah. things like that? Did you have like a lot of positive feedback for, for your writing from a young age or was it all like secret? Uh, no, I did actually. Cause I, I mean, I was really bad at mathematics and not so great at science. And so I had to make up my GPA with like the <laughs> English and like sociology. And shit. Um, I love that you say mathematics. Like it's like first name, last name, or something. Know, <laughs> like math formalized mathematics. mathematics. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> yes. We're not that familiar. Like, I don't know you, but this yeah. is the formal, right? <laughs> so, like, you you were always, like, the wordy kid. Did yeah. you have a lot of friends? Um, I think I kind of. I mean, by the time I got to high school, I was, like, such a freak. Um, like, yeah. openly? Yeah, I was such a weirdo in the, in the context of Cheyenne, Wyoming. What where, does that look like? Paint me a picture. I mean... You know, everyone there was very sort of either like total shit kicker, like cowboy style. Like long wallets and like fucking actual hats. Yeah, like actual hats. Like I remember this girl, which I always I love this. This girl I went to high school with on her car. She had a bumper sticker that said Wrangler butts drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. I got it. <laughs> right. And then there's, you know, like the typical like jock and soch kind of thing. Yeah. And like I was just like a nerd who wanted to read and was really into skateboarding and skateboarders. Of course. <laughs> and music. And like and my two best friends were um one was the only out gay male in our entire school district. Wow. <laughs> so there was that. And then the other my other best friend was just like a kind of like free spirit kind of hippie type. She's a horticulturist now. So oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> sweet. And of course, this is like pre-internet. Yeah. So it's like a lot more expensive to be a freak insofar as like you don't have all this like validation from other sources that like your kinsmen are out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it was like I did a lot of mail order um, as far as like music goes and how what was your like discovery process like back then sassy yeah it yeah, was like man. sassy yeah, and then i was man. like oh my god sassy <laughs> and then fanzines i started making fanzines i was actually thinking yesterday about my mom used to get so mad at me because like 
a good half of my paycheck from my job at Subway was went towards like Kinko's. (laughs) (laughs) So you were always like that kid who made stuff. Yeah. Like you were producing content from a very young age. I was producing and it was not like I still have my old like teen fanzines and they are so bad. What are some of the names of your fanzines that you used to have? Um, so I did like some pamphlets, like sort of in the raver years. I did like rave style. Did or you have like good raves like, in Cheyenne? Oh, no. This you is have like to travel, later. right? Okay. Yeah, this is later. I mean, I would go in Denver, um, sneak out. Um, but the main one I had was called Lick, mm. like Lick the Pavement. <laughs> so stupid. And it was like, you know, music reviews. And I would go to Colorado to like um, pro skater exhibition things and like interview skateboarders. Amazing. Um, I think I have an interview with Jason Lee, actually. But Shit. The, yeah. And like and like Chris Markovich and like I have a question. What made you this ballsy? Where you're like, okay, the thing that's separating me from a journalist is the fact that I just have to go to Colorado and I'm going to interview this fucking skater. I'm going to give myself that agency. Um, I think it's twofold. One is like, I just thought it was cool. And then two, I just wanted to talk to skaters. <laughs> I think it was partly you're like, it was hormones. And <laughs> yeah. dude, that's awesome. though. That's so like fearless. I mean... I guess so. I don't ever think of it that way. And also, you know, I didn't know anything about like recording interviews. So it was like I would write out questions in my notebook and then have them write it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And then I would type them up in my mom's typewriter and then cut out the little strips of their like you, responses like q and a's and then glue and then put them like <laughs> photocopy them in like shitty blue toner i don't know why i thought that was a good idea but i didn't have a graphics it was like team. a design aesthetic kind yeah. of <laughs> that is amazing so actually you know i kind of love that you've been doing this since you were a teen because some of the writing that you do for rookie uh, tavi jevinson's website and book series is so it just just has so much like empathy and I think you're really really good at like putting your brain into that mode of when you were like a teen because you know I've always loved the specificity of the advice that you give these girls but there was one thing that you wrote about bullying and it was about like how to talk to your aggressor and there was a note in it about how you should stand a certain distance away from them And I thought that that was such canny and helpful advice because you don't know that when you're a teen, especially if you're kind of like that teen who's a little spazzy, like you don't know how far away you're supposed to stand from someone when you're standing up for yourself. And I just thought that that was like really sweet. I've been punched. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it is practical advice. Were you bullied as a kid? I mean, I wouldn't say bullied. I think when I got to high school, I was I was very um, sort of for some reason. Well, I mean, I don't really want to go into it. But in 10th grade, uh, I was sort of given the scarlet letter of slut. And so a lot of it was which I wasn't, which is always the case. Of course. And hilarious. Um, So a lot of it was like boys screaming shit at me in the hallway, treating me like shit feeling like garbage and that was sort of in retrospect that kind of gave me the um I guess not permission is a bad word but agency to just be exactly who I was and that's how I became more and more of a freak because I think more before that I was trying to fit in a little bit but I wasn't 
totally bullied as a teen, a little bit in elementary school, but I did get into fights and I was beaten to the core Jesus. by Tori Munoz in my sophomore year of high school. And then I was like, oh, I'm never fighting again. <laughs> Is this person trying to be your Facebook friend? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was like, light, li- bullied adjacent, like lightly bullied because I was new and because I made the horrendous mistake of admitting that I masturbated. <laughs> Oh my and so god! I was a slut. I was like, "How am I a slut? Do you see this? Like, oh my god! Of all the things, this is not a slut. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, fucking podunk towns were kind of the worst. So, I one of my favorite things about you as a writer is that there's so much of your writing that you can read, and I remember um, you've there's so much of your writing collected as far back as 2003 on urban honking. Yeah. And it's actually kind of rad because you can just see like your progression as a writer. And like, I think that maybe you're just like that perfect age and early adopter where this is possible for. And um, how did you kind of get down with that? And like, what, what, what did that mean to you to be contributing to this blog? Oh, um, I was terrified. Okay. Um, I, so I, started out I was living in Portland Oregon and um I had moved around and was trying to figure out how what to do and I didn't even know how to be a writer and then when I moved to Portland uh the local weekly Willamette Week was looking for music writers and I sent in a freaking letter because it was like still like yeah. not really like it wasn't a common email situation and it was a snail mail it was snail deal, mail yeah. for like from 10 blocks away like (laughs) um and they asked me to write for them so I wrote for them for a year and then in uh Y2K the Portland Mercury this um other alternative weekly that was the sister paper of the stranger came and somehow they hired me and trusted me as their arts editor which is bananas because I put my cover letter on Japanese stationery. And I think that actually may have helped me. I did not know what I was doing at all, but right I was like, on. this is cool. Like, <laughs> no, like back, like back. Like, do you like this hamster? <laughs> um, and so, yeah. But um, so I was really, I really grew and learned a lot in Portland. And this was, again, like kind of before the internet was yeah. really a thing and then in 2003 i had known sasha fair jones from this thing in seattle called the emp pop conference okay and he started blogging on abstract dynamics i think you can still (laughs) find his his website there um and he kind of encouraged me and i was like oh i don't know and then urban honking was this like local these like local cool nerds who were like, Hey, we want to give you a blog. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. And it was terrifying because I was like, wait, this is national. Like people can read this. And I remember that's what I love about it. It's so personal. Yeah. I was like pouring, it was personal when I was like pouring over every like tiny, like phrasing and being, because, you know, Sasha had just started at the New Yorker at that time. And I was like, well, if Sasha links to me, this is like (laughs) really prominent writers who I respect yeah. will read this and I don't want to come off like a 
like a hick, basically. Right, right. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, I guess that's my, at heart, I like, my motivation is always like, well, I grew up in this podunk ass town and. So not to feel provincial or like signal that? Yeah, I guess so. Provincial and um, uneducated is another thing because I didn't go to college. And so that has always been I mean, I'm fine with it now. But for a long time, especially then, that was when I started knowing people who had gone to Harvard or whatever. Right, and I right. was like, what do I do? I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know what. I remember the day that John Caramonica explained to me what the term essentialism meant. And I was like, whoa, oh, my God, you learned so much in college. <laughs> like, <laughs> and not just any college, college. college. Yeah, Harvard, freaking Harvard. <laughs> like, shout out John and Harvard. Yeah, totally. Um <laughs> So actually, the one thing I like about your writing is that I like that you sound like you're not from New York. Like, and that's actually a compliment of the highest (laughs) order, because I do think that there is this sort of not generic sheen, but certainly this like weird shellac. Yeah, certainly for like cadence. Like I like the rhythm of your writing a lot. I love even when your like sentences have like eight clauses, because that happens to me sometimes, too. And sometimes your brain is just too fast. Yeah. So put the period where you need to put it if your brain needs to breathe. (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel about semicolons? I like them again. Yeah. And I I've, I was such an M dash person for such a long time just because I came up under Noah Caleb and Bever and like Sasha Jenkins and th- th- those guys were like ego trip guys were like M dash people but and Elliot Wilson but I'm into semicolons and colons again. Yeah, I really like semicolons and for a really long time Danielle Smith, um, who I worked for at Vibe and also before that was obviously obsessed with and. You know, yeah, she's the greatest. Yeah, she, talk about rhythm. The Dude, fucking her, her rhythm, rhythm is, is bonkers. Yes. Oh my uh, god. The Whitney Houston fucking um Star uh, Spangled Banner. The rhythm. Oh, uh, fucking church. Just man. all of it. Yeah. Church. Oh my god. Sometimes I read her um her Bobby Christina sort of like pre obit or like when and it it's like you should all read it. I think it's on the Guardian. It is heart-wrenching and it kind of shows you what Danielle can do because she can really she just knows how to reach people and also get in there and get in there she's always like yeah I think it's it's, maybe it's like something because like she's of a generation where she's been to things where it isn't just a sea of fucking screens in front of the person right but like her writing really transports you right there it's so fucking bananas Oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she wrote on her blog that she uh, hated semicolons and was totally against them. And I was like, hmm, let me explore this in my own writing. <laughs> and then I started working for her. And then I was like, well, there goes the semicolon. But I'm back in them. Nice. I love a semicolon. Yeah, me too. I feel like for certain cadence and for certain types of writers, we're, we're a bit like free form. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we might need some grammar. Right. Um, so actually, it's funny that you bring up Sassy because I remember... Ca- k-holing pretty deeply in your um blog stuff i guess in the mid to late aughts because i was launching misbehave and i remember the sassy tone and i remember the jane tone and i think this was kind of when the brandon holly thing was happening and like jane had changed so much yeah and so that was like a good reminder of like how i wanted writers to sound so i i've stolen everything that you've done (laughs) dot edu just because i feel like (laughs) you know is that like stephanie trong like jeff johnson voice or whatever and then there was you and you always talk directly to your reader 
And so Thanks. I'm just going to, I just brought you on here to compliment you to your you, face and not ask you any questions. Well, two things. One is, you know, that Jeff Johnson hired me very briefly as Jane's hip hop blogger. Did you know that Jane had a hip hop blogger for like one and a half months? Uncomfortable. <laughs> it was so weird. And so a lot of it was like, I can't remember a lot of what I wrote, but I do remember writing about going, I went to this E40 listening session. Yes, you did. <laughs> and yeah. And the only women who were there who weren't strippers were me and Hillary Crosley. And we were just like, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> we are here. This is anthropologically specific. Yeah. But, but also misbehave is like one of, I mean, you're era of misbehave is like one of my favorite things that ever happened and I still have every issue and I also I think about this so much I think about how you put Amber Heard on the cover yeah and like I, when you did it I was like who the fuck is this like I had no idea and it was it seemed like kind of random but that's what I liked about it and it was prescient yeah I mean we did a lot of <sighs> You know, I talk about this a lot and people are like, well, different circumstances, blah, blah, blah. But had I my druthers, Amy Winehouse would have been a cover instead of right. any book. Um, fucking there's just a lot of like Rihanna would have been a cover. Yeah. But I wasn't allowed to put people of color on the cover. Um, that's a thing that happened. <sighs> yeah. So, yeah. But actually, um, you know, going back to do you want to do you want your own magazine? I say that like I've got like three in my bag. <laughs> I'm like, here, yeah. run this. <laughs> Like, do you ever want hyphens in your title? I mean, when I worked at the Fader, I was the uh, executive, executive editor, yeah. and then some shit happened, and there was a coup, and then I had to leave. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, I I think now I don't. I think I don't want to be an editor in chief because I am very happy with not dealing with the bullshit of bureaucracy that you have to deal with when you're in EIC. A lot of meetings. A lot of meetings, a lot of like mitigating, you know, your publishers and that kind of thing. I think it would be an excellent deputy editor. I want to be the person who makes the creative decisions and then does a lot of the features editing, but doesn't have to deal with the bullshit if that is a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't... I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would do I mean, it. Don't but you I, think, is there an editor-in-chief who can just, like, bag off the fucking meetings? Because no. that's the thing, too. Like, I would I would be an editor-in-chief again if I didn't have to sit in the fucking meetings. Right. I but mean, then, again, I wouldn't want to sit in an office either, so I'm probably bad at that. Right. I think <laughs> I think EIC is such an administrative job yeah. that people don't it's really like know kind about. Of like, it's, like the, it's ceremonial. It's like the Queen of England, kind of. Yeah. No disrespect to my friends who have hyphens, but... Right, kind but of. It, it's like a lot of it, I think, I don't know. I think I just wouldn't, I want to do all the creative stuff and I want to make all the creative decisions and not do the bullshit, yeah. as I said, and that probably will never happen. <laughs> do you still love being in media? Yeah. Do you? That's yeah. amazing. I mean, you know, it, it every year it sort of provides its new plate of bullshit added <laughs> on to the rest of the bullshit. Yeah, you had a really fucking weird summer. <laughs> um, but I, first of all, I don't know how to do anything else. Right. I, I, I could teach dance, but I haven't done that in like 15 years or so. So that would be weird, probably. Um, and I, you know. 
You could teach music writing. I mean, you did that at I did, NYU. I did. I taught music writing for three years at NYU. And um, how having, was that? I loved it. Really? I loved it, except having two jobs and one of which I had to leave my main job in the middle of the day two times a week to go. It just like got to be too much. And I was too overwhelmed. And like, especially this last year has been just a total shit show. Um, so I'm not doing it this year. I might do another class a different class in the future, but I don't know. We'll see. How did you design your curriculum? Um, so the curriculum is already sort of set because it's, um, it was at, so I taught at um, the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at NYU. And it was set because it's basically a kind of a professional school for people who want to be in the music industry. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily a journalism course. So a lot of it was kind of, telling people telling musicians and like managers and people who are on like the want to be executives in the music industry how to talk to the media interesting so it's an actual useful class yeah i tried <laughs> to make it as useful as possible because i mean at this point and and as i went each year it was like how much music criticism how much is this helpful to them just right. learning how to do music criticism and also the funny is the funniest part is they had to take um bob Criscow's class before they could take my class which i was like <laughs> how did this happen but like he was already kind of teaching them this sort of classical style of music criticism obviously um so yeah i would give them like even i even did basically a job training like where i would play them an album and be like you have like one hour to write a review of this that you have to turn in that's amazing <laughs> like, welcome to the what actually happened yeah 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 sorry yeah and you have to just be comfortable with the fact that like that's what oh god i for beyonce's birthday someone was like retweeting um someone who will remain unnamed about their um review of beyonce's first solo album and i think the headline was like she's no ashanti and i was just like that's oh God, yes that's it happens though like you have an hour to fucking like review an album and yeah. that's it yeah how did you not just have like a bunch of like weird thirst buckets going to that class being like how do i get on or was that kind of the transactional um i mean no it wasn't it really wasn't transactional i mean these that's amazing kids were like yeah i mean you know a, like a lot of the kids were like knew my writing and were trying to either, you know, figure out how to do what I had done or, um, you know, wanted to know just how, yeah, how to get put on. I mean, that's, that was the thing that was, that was like the, mm -hmm. the, the point in certain ways, but, um, no, you know, the kids were usually like 20 or so okay. and like they're for the most part they're songwriters and and musicians and really really earnest about the music industry right because they don't know yeah right i know <laughs> what was the gender breakdown mostly men okay uh i think my last semester i had a majority women and Whoa. i was like yo this is cool <laughs> um but yeah it was mostly men although i think it it kind of varied because again, because it's like various aspects of like songwriting and production. Mm -hmm. It was a required chorus also. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Learn how to communicate with freaking editors. And like so many people were like, 
how do I pitch a premiere to Pigeons and Planes? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. That's amazing. But that's what, you know, that's yeah. what I taught them to do. I don't know if it worked sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so kind of going in, back into what we we're talking about in terms of your voice, like how did you develop your voice and how has it changed over the years? Um, There's aspects of it that I feel like have been really consistent though. I mean, like cursing. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I think my first job, I was given so much leeway to be in my voice because, like I said, I wrote my cover letter on right, right, <laughs> on Japanese stationery. I the publisher. Uh, I remember saying that I was influenced by Sassy, and he was like, "All right, you know, it was just the time where he didn't want." He didn't want people who had gone to J school and didn't have voices. He right. wanted people who would be themselves. And like I was myself 100% for better and often worse. Um, but I think I just stuck with it. And obviously I know how to write in like a house style because you learn how to do that when because you've been you writing. Because yeah. you have to. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. I think I just I think it's it's consistent with like learning how to be yourself yeah. more. And like, as I become an old ass bitch, um, I feel like I'm like a legend, a legend an old bitch. Um, I feel like I just, I feel more secure with myself and therefore I feel more secure with just saying like, whatever the fuck. But what I kind feel. of, what kind of advice do you dispense to people who are like developing their voice? Um, well, my students, I would always tell them to write, as an exercise, write as if they were writing an email to their best friend. Oh, okay. And that's how you sort of develop your natural voice. I think a lot of people, a lot of kids that I had were sort of taught not to speak in their, or not to write in their regular speaking voice. But if you don't know how to do that, then I don't think that you can get to the more technical aspects of it. Right. Because you're already going so against your own instincts for writing. And so I think it's important to be able to yeah, be able to write well in your own voice, I guess. So, you know, you obviously you are a mentor to like a lot of people. How much of your brain real estate does that consume? Less now that I'm teaching. I'm not teaching. Um, <laughs> but when you were teaching, were you that like available to your students? Yeah, like I would meet with them whenever Dude. they needed to and stuff. And um, I, I feel like I... There are people who've emailed me throughout the last like five to seven years or whatever that I have not had time to respond to. And I think like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, my God, I suck. <laughs> like, just like, I don't know. I. It's like, yeah, it's you know, it's a time constraint because we all get like yeah. 700 emails. Totally. I have two email box inboxes, used to have three. And but I think it's important because. I don't know. People helped me and I didn't, I don't know. I just feel like. How do you like filter though? Like who do you decide to like, I mean, now that you're not teaching, you, you might go back and that will obviously dictate who you meet with and who you don't. But if someone like emails you out of like the clear blue, like are they getting FaceTime with you? Um, I mean, I'll email maybe sometimes, but I can't remember actually <laughs> the most recent. I mean, I'll always try to meet with, um, people who haven't had, you know, 
an inherent leg up. Like I'll always meet with women of color. I'll always meet with people who are like, I don't know shit. And I just moved here and, you know. Yeah. Or at least email with. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And at least I try to. Um, you know, if they're like, I've definitely met with people through the years who are, you know, who've gone to college and who are like sort of privileged. And I often have found that in those meetings, they just want more from me rather than. They just want me to give them my connects. Yeah, totally. And it's like, you they know They just what? want to pick your brain, but mostly they just want to wear your skin and see, sit in those meetings and collect your paycheck. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They like want content. I mean, like, whatever. I'll give editor contact info. It's like, but it's Good also luck. like, yeah. <laughs> you could Google that shit, dog. Like, um, yeah. But what it, I guess like, who are your mentors and do you still have them? Um, I think Danielle is has always sort of been, I mean, a, cause I looked up to her so much before I even worked with her, but she has always been in, really incredibly encouraging to me. And, um, I think she's done that with a lot of us. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I always just think of her as, as that. Um, I think that Charles Aaron from spin has been a mentor to me for a long time. Um, I think Sasha was for a long time, especially when I moved here. Um, I guess that's off the top. Do you think like, do you think that people even have that anymore? Like apprenticeships and mentors and like things like that. I just feel like we're so on the, the hook for like knowing thousands more people than we used to. Right. Like I don't, I don't let anyone in anymore, period. Right. Like I just, I don't know why. I feel guilty about it. So oftentimes I ask my guests, I'm like, are you doing it? Like, should yeah. I be doing it? Like what's going on? Um, I mean, I think certain people do, I guess. I, I mean, has there ever been like a mentee that really panned out for you that really like blew your mind and you weren't left with the feeling of like, why is this child in the world dropping my name to everyone when I'm not that affiliated with them? I guess like, how do you be a gracious mentee? I think you just know that the person who's helping you is taking time out of their life and schedule to help you and appreciate that and try to do with it as much as you can. And if you get tired of it or if you think that maybe writing isn't necessarily the path that you want to go in anymore, then you recognize that and like don't waste any don't more waste of their anyone time. time anyone's yeah. time. Yeah. Um, what is your media diet like? Oh, God. I know that's such a douche question, but you oh, consume no, so like, much that yeah. I just like, how do you find time to do it? What time are you waking up? Like, um, so I get up usually, uh, I try to get up at seven thirty so I can get in like a little, little quick workout in my home before I start working. But we start working at Jezebel at eight thirty. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, where we start looking at, you know, cause a lot of what we do is aggregating and, um, or like trying to turn a story into like something bigger. And so that's when we start sort of looking at, I always look at um, British blogs and websites first. Because they've been up they've for, been a, while, up for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And also I'm like really into like London culture. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you know, I love grime. <laughs> that kind of like, yay. And like British fashion. Like, and British fashion, London fashion is yeah. better than anywhere else in the western world so 
so you do your British stuff and then you do your links and all that stuff. And yeah, British stuff. And then just like, you know, every newspaper, big stories. I look at Twitter. Um, I kind of go in order as a culture editor. I start with um, music, fashion, uh, film and TV and then whatever. Else. How long does just that like, take? Um, God, I mean, I'm constantly reading stuff throughout the day. Yeah. So is that taxing? Are you used to that now? I'm used to it now. Okay. It's like it is pretty taxing. It How can do you do that and write? Um, because you take an hour off or yeah. whatever, two hours off, and just not do it, and then you like catch up. And also because we have a Slack where everyone's dropping in links. Yeah. So it's like we're all a little hive. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you're constantly being fed. Yeah. yeah, we're constantly being fed, little workers. Um, but yeah, and then I have I have a, a blog feed that's like less. It's less uh, like Jezebel style stuff and more stuff that like maybe I just want to read about. You're into, like, yeah. I'm like dance the halls in. Yeah, like, the let's see <laughs> what rhythms were released today. Like, <laughs> you know, what do you think about the fucking corporatization of dance hall? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean. You know, I'm not like, I'm not an expert on dance hall, but I find it very strange. And I, and what I do, what does bother me is sort of the corporatization of reggaeton and the like whitewashing of reggaeton, mm. because I think it's, you know, another aspect of like, I mean, through my career, I've always been sort of like, why do, why do Latino art artists get like always have to be in this corner, you know, like yeah. why we're like, especially now where, you know, more and more people speak Spanish and more, but it shouldn't matter as a music lover. Like I listen to music that I don't speak the language yeah. all the time. Well, also reggaeton is a kind of a fun um, example because it's definitely always having a, an upswing when white people happen to be looking at it. Right. As if yeah, it's not exactly. always going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which is kind of how I feel about like what's going on with dental and everything. Right. Yeah. Actually, as I was coming here and I haven't, I didn't read it, but there was a thing that complex wrote about where like Sean Paul said something like Drake doesn't get dance hall. And I was like, when am I going to be above ground? So I can read this. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, I mean, I think it's part and parcel with reggaeton, but, um, yeah, I just think it's corny. Yeah. It's corny and it's like another way for um corny people and or brands to fucking cash brands. in on cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. How do you how do you know so much about music? Cuz that's the thing. I stopped writing about music. Um I think and you had a lot to do with it. I was just like I can't. Why? Cuz I just have too much imposter syndrome. I mean, not, not, not being such, not to be like a lady about it, but like, no, you genuinely know so much about like, comp, like composition, like just shit that I just, I'm just like, how do you know this? I don't know. I mean, I, I took piano lessons when I was a kid for mm -hmm. a while and actually I really hated it, but my mom was like, you have to do something like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that I learned um, against my will, certain part things about theory and, and I can read music and, um, and then later I was into it and I was like, cool, I can play the piano now. Like, <laughs> Do you think that because you didn't go to college, you just like fucking learned 
yeah. everything there was to fucking learn. Yeah, because I mean, it wasn't like I didn't want to learn. So yeah. I like, I definitely like went to the library and checked out everything about everything and just tried to like learn. Do you still learn? Yeah, for sure. You, you, so you read like music theory books and like, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck that. <laughs> but well, it's what are you music- learning from? Um, and what are you learning about currently? Uh, God, what? I don't know. I just read a book about alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I just read some, I'm trying to just think of what I just read. I just read someone's, I read this memoir, um, by Sarah Hapala called Blackout. And it was about her, um, days as like a functioning alcoholic who was a music writer, wow. um, at the Austin, what's the weekly? Austin American, Chronicle. Austin oh, there's Chronicle, an Austin Chronicle. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, so I don't know what I was learning there. I was, <laughs> I wasn't learning anything, honestly. Um, Do I, don't know, I don't know. I feel like I learn a lot from just reading blogs, I guess. Do you which feel sounds like really no, I'm, rando. Do you think that, do you feel like there's too much homework right now? Given like the frequency of like new music, the frequency of like new everything. Like, like, are you caught up on all your like albums to listen to? No, absolutely not. Where are you at? Um, I, a friend who will remain nameless told me recently against his, um, not against his will, but against his better judgment that he really likes the new Travis Scott album. Okay. His friend is a notorious Travis Scott hater. So it was like, <laughs> cool. Like, um, I tried to listen to it, but it wasn't on Spotify. So right, I was like, right, fuck. Right. <laughs> no, actually, like, I was just, I was just talking to, um, our audio engineer. I was just like, I'm, I'm right up to just before Travis Scott. I just haven't listened to it. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm still on the young thug album. Right. <laughs> this is where I'm at. But I mean, also there's so much like, you know, you have to pay attention to what is happening in a large pop culture way, but also I'm not trying to just listen to that shit. Like I, I have a, like a large collection of blogs and like I spend a lot of time on SoundCloud just looking for nerd shit. Yeah. Like what kind of nerd shit? Um, well, my one main favorite thing to do is to listen to remixes of like popular Rihanna songs. Oh. Um, and like the worst, the like the worst that they are, the better for me. Like I want to <laughs> find like that hard style remix of like, this is what you came for. Like, um, but also why? Why? Um, I just love that shit. I don't know. I love like weird, corny, like what the hell are these experiments that people are doing that are SoundCloud producers that have like three followers. Um, but oh, I listen a lot to Rinse FM. Okay. Um, and I learn a lot of music from there just because they have many DJs with many <laughs> different styles. <laughs> it is true. Um, what do you think of majors trying to shut down streaming exclusives? The whole thing... Majors make me so tired. <laughs> Just each time they find new ways of potentially going bankrupt. Right. I mean, that I still don't understand because the major labels were notoriously late on the internet. Like, yeah, because by that like was like 10 years. Well, that's what, kind of when we were coming up because like we we existed. We started working at a time where like, you know, every publicist you were at lunch with for three hours had a black car just idling outside for them. Like that level of ostentation. And then everything went to the toilet. Yeah. Like immediately yeah. like that. I think I wrote about this somewhere in something and I can't remember, but I was 
I remember really distinctly being on a Dumbo rooftop with Omarion and Bow Wow. I love this story so much. <laughs> and it was already like a pretty expensive photo shoot. I can't remember what it was even for, but I interviewed them. It was for Vibe, but I can't remember why. Um, and I was interviewing them. And then this executive who was with them. So it was an expensive photo shoot. They had like, it was like full glam style, like extra glam yeah. that you don't really get as much now um and this executive like was leaning back in his chair and was like yeah i remember just even like five years ago we would just like take a helicopter to a shoot we would spend like a million dollars on a video and it was so great and i'm like oh my god you sound absurd <laughs> and this is before oh, the recession yeah, it totally. was like 2006 it was like I they're like i totally didn't see the french revolution coming at all yeah exactly <laughs> but it's so crazy because like even you know I still think it's so despicable that they sued that girl, that 12 year old girl who lived in like Bed-Stuy in yes. the projects for downloading, Pir yeah, pirating. pirating. Yeah. And she had no idea that it was illegal. And, and they sued her. And ever since then, that was like 2003, I think. Um, they just have been trying desperately to catch up and they just can't. And I think it's because they're, too entrenched in their like money making ways and i think it's too top heavy people at the top obviously always make more money yeah than or right now there's such an insane wage gap and uh they have no creative vision <laughs> i guess would you ever want to work at a label oh god no I mean, I'm kind of good at it. That's all I'm I would saying. Do, I would do okay at AR. That's think. what I'm saying. Like, I mean, the AR part where it's not just like everyone thinks it's like, oh, you just listen to a bunch of things that people, you know, no, I mean, like, I mean, like artist development. <sighs> I would I like. I mean, so much of that is just babysitting, though. Yeah, that's out. the thing. I'm like, I would, if someone gave me a stipend, like, of $1,000 a month to send them, like, cool shit that no one else knew about, and I would do that. <laughs> You heard it here. That's it. <laughs> I'm like, I feel so like, I'm like, I'm trying to do the most amount of control, make the most amount of money, the least amount of work. Like, don't send me to any meetings. Just give me, just PayPal me and I'll send you cool shit. I mean, yeah, you could just be an arbiter. Yeah. You'd be the best arbiter. Hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cool job. Be an arbiter. So, okay. What do you do for self-care? Because my thing with you is that you care a lot. And so, like, how do you, like, self-preserve, I guess, in your life? Uh, <laughs> um, wow. Well, so I think a lot of it is I allow myself to come home after work and just fucking veg out. And it's also still kind of work because I'm like, yeah, I'm watching Mr. Robot. Maybe I'll write about this tomorrow. <laughs> like, <Who knows>? <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I think I allow myself like probably an absurd amount of television because I'm like, this will, it like relaxes me. I have the same um, thing. And then also I try to go to the gym. That's like the most <laughs> consistent thing. I mean, it really isn't like rocket science. Everyone, everyone's just like, I have a really good partner. I love my home. It's a sanctuary and I go fucking work out. Yeah. I mean, basically, or like, um, I don't know if you ever do YouTube workout videos, but I really am into Kiara Lachey. Who is that? Um, she's a YouTube workout instructor, and she has really good dance workouts. See, you're in, you're really into dance, though. Like, I love you're dancing. good at it. 
I mean, I'm not that great at it anymore. But, but I, but like, no, you like know choreography and like, did you learn it for a really long time? Is and you taught it for a while? Yeah, like I, I went to um, dance classes when I was a kid, and then I got what they called a scholarship when I was 15, which meant that in exchange for free labor, like me teaching little little kids. Um, I wouldn't have to pay. So I did that for three years. And then, um, and it was like, you know, ballet and like a little bit of tap and like lyrical ballet. Um, And then eventually it got into like hip hop, but it was very, it was like, the, what, like, like Channing Tatum shit or what? <laughs> like, no, I mean, it was like the Belbiv DeVoe oh, okay, kind of okay, okay, era. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely remember we had a really non-suggestive dance to poison um it was definitely <laughs> does that not, even exist <laughs> i mean we i don't know i don't know what we were doing i do remember the first like being really young and hearing they played salt and peppa's tramp and i was like i love this song so much and like it was i was like what is this you're like, you energized like, and galvanized super young yeah. and then later i was like yo i was like eight listening to tramp like <laughs> And like absorbing all this, but then I was like, "Oh, Salt and Peppa made me a feminist." So there you go. But also, like, have you seen? Well, I mean, probably. But like, talk about suggestive dance videos, like these video. Not to be like this, like puritanical lady, <laughs> yeah. but like, oh my goodness, I'm aghast occasionally. They're like four years old and very limber, and full glam. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like it's the pageantization of videos. It's, but also, I mean, but it's like, also awesome. Like the whole, you know, like feminism thing, like they look really confident and like powerful. Yeah, I mean, I can't knock it. Dance moms. I love dance yeah. moms. It's, it's a thing. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, but, like, would. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think, yeah, I guess anytime that you are young and you feel like physically in power, I think that can translate to being more confident, I guess. Mm-hmm. What flavor of feminist are you? I'm kidding. That's such a true question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're a ninth wave. I'm like a 42nd wave chicanista <laughs> with like a little bit of, um, I don't know. Witch shit. <laughs> witch shit. Kind of witch shit, but like bruja shit. And like, I don't know. I believe in hexes. <laughs> oh, I do too. I believe like the sh- I believe the shit out of hexes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the secret, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> also, I'm big into grudges. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with that. What I do for self-care is I hold grudges. Yo, I mean, <laughs> some people just don't deserve that shit. You yeah, know what I mean? Totally. Like, like you, the idea of like forgiving is very, I grew up Catholic. Me too. Fucks you up. Yo, yeah. it fucks you up. Totally. So, like, it's like forgive and like let it go and I really that stuff actually like triggers me (laughs) to use a word um just this idea of letting go and like being rising above yeah Yeah. like self-abnegation it's like no fuck you I'm not gonna self-abnegate because this person's an asshole yeah totally I'm gonna turn my grudge into a fucking diamond in my cold dead hand yeah it has to be done um so you work out for self-care 
and you hold grudges also. Yeah. Oh, and Kira Lachey, uh, yeah. YouTube videos. She has. She's really cool because, like, she a most of them are in her living room, so she's. So like, it's not like in this beautiful studio where you're like, no. where the fuck am I going to find this space in New York? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's like straight up in front of a fireplace, <laughs> and like she's like motivating in that way where she's like, yeah, you can do it. Let's do this, and it's not like fuck you, you better work, which I find really unmotivating. <laughs> totally. Or it's just like, you're so annoying. Why would I invite you into my home? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Totally. And it's like, and then also she has like her, she'll have like a dance hall thing or like I just did in, in honor of Labor Day, I just did the Soka workout. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> that's my self-care Kiara Lachey if you're listening I love you no that's what <laughs> I feel like that's what we all need so my final question to you is New York are you still fucking with it heavy yeah that's amazing do you ever go off it no I mean sometimes I imagine myself living in London for six months yeah why don't you I mean I don't know. also I don't... hashtag Brexit Brexit and like also it's so expensive so it's expensive. more expensive yeah. than here um, but I should and I've been threatening to do that for like literally 10 years um, so I guess now is the worst time to do it um, <laughs> ding 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, having grown up in Wyoming and I've lived in a lot of really shitty places before Portland, um, I just can't imagine living in another city. I could live in New Orleans for like three weeks. I love that you're offering this up as like a thing. You're like, this is how far how far I go with this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Twenty one days, New Orleans, or like, or also like Miami. I love Miami, yeah. but I wouldn't want to live there permanently. The whole thing, because Miami, at the end of the day, is still in Florida. It's still in Florida. Yeah, aggressively still in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, also Zika. Also Zika, right? <laughs> But I would live on South Beach only. I would never leave South Beach. <laughs> I am a lady. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking thank with you me. Thank you for having me. Bye. I'm in love with my life.